Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Between Class. We are so excited to have you join us and jumping right into it. Please welcome our moderator for this episode, Batul Ibrahim. Go ahead and take it away, Batul. Hello, everyone. My name is Batul Ibrahim. Um, I'm a junior political science and global studies major at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm so excited to um, moderate these po this podcast with these beautiful, amazing Black women. Um, so I'm going to start off really quick. Bree, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hello everyone. My name is Breeze Soshuda. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a third year student at the University of Minnesota and I am the first black woman to be executive director of ABTS. I'll pass it off to Marissa. Hey everybody, my name is Marissa Ilze. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I am a recent graduate of Michigan State University and I now work as a student support service professional at the university. And so I'm gonna pass it off to Roya. Awesome, hello, hello everyone. My name is Ro'ya Hijazi, I use she, her pronouns, and I am currently the student body president of the undergraduate student government at The Ohio State University, and I'm the first black woman to serve in this role. Hi friends, my name is Asada Gilmore and I use she, her pronouns and I serve as student body president at Purdue University and have the honor of serving as the first black woman in this position as well. Thank you all for introducing yourselves. So I'm just gonna dive in right into the questions. Uh, so the first question is, what does Black History Month mean to you? I can start this one if that's okay with, with the group. Um, <laughs> Black History Month, at least for me in my eyes, is a space where we're all being intentional about honoring um, Black people within our community. And I say it is Black History Month, and so it's not people of color. Um, it is Black Black people and celebrating what they brought, specifically here at Purdue. Um, it's a time for all of the colleges and not just the Black Cultural Center, right, which is what we see throughout the year, but for everyone to take a moment and celebrate their Black students, their Black professors, um, and then also the other contributions that have made our university so great, great because of Black people. Um, it's also a time for me to connect with my family at my church um, and just be more intentional about things that I, I think typically as a Black woman, I take for granted, um, but saying that, no, these are, this is amazing. Um, this is something that's important to me and my heritage and my history um, and, and getting the recognition that we wish was there all months of the year. But in February, we have that dedicated time. Totally. I love what you said about intention. And I think um, for myself, what Black History Month means to me is like setting the intention of celebrating Black joy and kind of celebrating Black people. And so I've been trying this month to like be so joyful and like lift up fellow people in the Black community and really just connect and kind of celebrate and breathe and like take time to like be together and create community and to cultivate space to kind of just talk about like, what does Blackness mean? Like who did what so that we could be here today and like how can we kind of make a lasting impact moving forward and I think for all of us kind of like being the first in those positions like it's time for us to also like celebrate that and so I'm happy that we're all here today um, in Black History Month and yeah. Yeah I'm definitely always super excited to be celebrating Black History um, but for me Black History Month it, it includes celebrating Black history and the achievements of Black people, but it also includes 
spreading knowledge about the black experience in general and blackness and how it looks like and what it looks like today. So it's explaining the civil rights struggles that we've had to deal with. Um, it's explaining our struggles to um, gain citizenship and struggles to get integration and all of those different things, all of the different struggles that we've had to deal with as black people in this country, along with celebrating all of our achievements and our blackness. Yeah, I totally agree. And Brie, I really love what you said about um, celebrating Blackness and Black joy specifically. Um, I think for me, especially this year, Black History Month has meant celebrating not only the Black folks who have worked incredibly hard to bring the progress that we see today, but celebrating the Black folks in my community, my friends, my colleagues, fellow students who are doing that work today. Um, black history and that history is happening right now as we speak. So for me, it's really about taking the time to honor and celebrate and also encourage rest among the Black leaders in my life today. And honestly, just really giving them their flowers. Um, I think they should get it year round, but especially during Black History Month. Kind of going off of what Roya said, um, you guys are all like literally Black history in the making on your campuses. Um, and like a lot of Black students are looking up to you. So I guess, um, what's the legacy you wanna leave? And like, how do you want to pass on your Black history? I can dive into this one, um, actually, because it's something that I was just thinking about yesterday. Um, I read somewhere that someone had written something along the lines of um, honor me by encouraging Black women to succeed. And to me, that is really what I believe in, in terms of passing down Black history. Um, I think one of the most special things that I've been able to do at Ohio State and something that I hold really dear to my heart is being able to bring Black students into spaces that other Black students before me brought me into, specifically into spaces that I never thought I would succeed, whether it's certain student organizations or academic spaces. Um, I really do believe that like passing the legacy of Black history is ensuring that the people who come after you are have the tools and the ability to be um, trailblazers um, in their own right. So yeah, I always say honor me by encouraging Black women to succeed. Yeah, I love that and the whole idea of creating space um, kind of for the next generation. Um, I would say for myself, specifically at the University of Minnesota, I do more work in government affairs. Um, and I'm also the first Black woman to lead that role as well. So we're celebrating Black history, we'll say that too. Um, and I think it's kind of this idea of how can I create a more inclusive space when I'm gone? And how can I bring like others with me um, during my journey here? And so I think myself like I really tried to kind of like diversify our fellowship program and like recruit and retain more black students so that um, they feel welcome and they know that this is a place for them and place positions of power and so how can I um, now that I've gotten here like mentor those students and make sure that I'm creating that opportunity and making sure that they feel welcome because it's all about like recruiting is one thing but retention is another and I think if I can play a part in retention of making your time here more joyful and making you feel more welcome and making you know that you're empowered, like that's what I want to do. Um, and then I also think it's kind of looking to like the structural inequities about access to higher education itself. And so I'm blessed that I was able to get here with ease um, to the University of Minnesota, but that's like our college is not reflective of our campus community. Like Minneapolis and St. Paul are very diverse and like the University of Minnesota is not. 
And so how can I make efforts to make sure that access to higher education is easy and so that there is more um, accessibility for students of color, students from lower income backgrounds and so that we can kind of create that pipeline um, to higher ed. I really agree with what you, everything that's been said, um, but I was just thinking about that in terms of, we, we just started this equity task force last semester, right? And they're talking about, okay, well, how can we recruit black students? Unlike Minneapolis, West Lafayette is not diverse. And then that's uh, reflected in our university. Um, and so what are students gonna do when they get here? Why would I share my story and bring someone here if they're gonna be unhappy and go through an experience? And so I've been fortunate enough to be cared for and nurtured and surrounded by community. And so ensuring that those things are, are left better than when I started. And so helping to aid in fundraising efforts for um, programs like the Business Opportunity Program, BOP, which is a program um, for minority students in Craner. And that has nothing to do with my roles as student body president, but being in this position allows me to funnel um, um, contacts, people, and, and, and indirectly money towards those sort of programs. I also think that just making sure that anyone sees themselves in this position. I think before it was just like, straight white men that were in fraternities that like were, were seen as like, that's who could lead the student body. And that's not the case. Although I am the first black woman, we have yet to have an Asian representation in the organization, any native representation. And, and, and historically those are um, sectors of campus or people that, I, that think that they can't or with LGBTQ representation, all those sort of things. And so ultimately I just want Purdue Student Government to be an organization that flexes its muscles in ways that matter. Um, and that leads by example, that shows the other legacy orgs on campus that you can have intentions about having diversity, but that's one thing you have to follow through it and take action. And so I'm hoping by um, the policies and programs that we were able to implement this year, that that continues and that other organizations can then follow suit to create that environment that Brie talked about. Yes, absolutely. Everything that all three of you have said, like I 100% like all of that. Um, for me, I passed on history through several different ways, honestly, as we all do. But specifically, I'll talk about my work with the office that I work with, with the student support office that I work with. And so our program deals heavily with coaching and mentoring students who come from low income backgrounds or are first generation students. And so a lot of times the, the students who we end up working with our black students. Um, and so through coaching them, through mentoring them, we can kind of help them to realize all the potential that they have and all that they can be, all of the leadership positions that they can step into and help them grow and develop um, that are available to them at MSU and just kind of help them see like a, a broader scope of just anything that they can achieve. And especially seeing black people in these positions that they're already going or interested in going to so connecting connecting them to these resources just kind of helps helps them to feel empowered even more and feel inspired to know that they that that's something that's achievable for them so black people stepping into these spaces i think alone is impactful um, so each of you kind of talked about how you've used your positions to nurture and foster community on your campuses um, so i guess what challenges have come from being the first? I would say uh, like imposter syndrome is definitely real. Uh, and that's something I think I've been trying to navigate. Like, am I doing enough for my community? Am I doing enough in this position? Am I doing enough to kind of 
do that nurturing and mentoring that I really claim that I want to do? Like, am I doing enough at all times and always kind of second guessing myself? Um, I would say that's a challenge. And then I think, I hope everyone can relate like white men, like, and white women too. I think it's frustrating. Like you're sometimes in these positions and you say something and then you're kind of ignored and then somebody else will just repeat what you said. And everyone's like, oh yeah, like great idea. And so I think um, trying to speak truth to power and like claiming like, no, like I'm in this position too. Like I'm here, like y'all can respect me. Um, so I say those are my two biggest challenges. I echo that 120% imposter syndrome. Like um, I think this year has really just showed me um, how much that has impacted me and in my leadership. And I really think that um, as a black woman in this space, um, as the first student body president, I'm not necessarily extended the same grace that people in my position have been extended. Um, I think that um, I find myself oftentimes tone policing myself, being tone policed, um, oftentimes feeling like I have to come across a certain way um, in order to get things done. And um, I'm glad that it's something that I was able to identify really early on in my term, but even having to take on that fight on top of the fight of already being a student advocate um, is incredibly tolling. And that's why I always give my props to black student leaders because I know all of the challenges that come in the way that we oftentimes are constantly beating ourselves up, even though our presence in those spaces is enough, so. Absolutely, I was also thinking imposter syndrome and the, the idea that a lot of us, a lot of times when black women especially step into these roles where we are the first, we always feel like we have to change ourselves to fit this mold, which I, we, we really don't have to, we're great as we are, um, our, our authenticity is enough. Just us being completely ourselves should be enough. And we shouldn't have to feel like we have to change ourselves in order to be able to be perceived in whatever kind of way um, people think that we should be perceived as. I don't know if I said that right, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so imposter syndrome. I um, also served as the first black woman student body vice president. And so I thought, oh, I got it. Like I went, I came, I did what I had to do and I'm coming back because I, I earned it, right? And that very quickly um, was taken away from me. I think this summer, last summer was probably, that, that was the hardest moment I have been through in my adult life, just being a black person, going through that type of hurt um, on top of trying to lead a student body during a pandemic. And then on top of, okay, well now I have to prove myself again, even though I thought I put in the time. Um, and so then dealing with that imposter syndrome, you burn out real quick. Um, and that idea of you have to work three times harder does not go away uh, just because you get to college or just because you get into these leadership positions. And so I definitely felt myself first semester um, trying to prove myself, which then led to burnout, which then led to bad um, mental health practices and well-being practices. And so you don't, you aren't offered that same flexibility or, or time to find your own peace and to, and to find where you are. And then when you do get, and you conquer all of that, right? Cause we're some bad, I can't curse here. We're some, we're some bad women. Um, we conquer it, right? We do what we need to do, but there's nobody asking you at the end of the day, okay, well, how are you feeling? And then this semester, I've noticed we are going to have more tickets, people running than we've ever had before. And so people think we make it look easy. They think that they think that they can do it. They think that, oh, if a black woman can do it, I can do it. And that's just not the case. 
Um, and so then not being able to speak that truth, not being able to check in on yourself, um, people expecting you to handle challenges more than they would expect anybody else to. Um, it all it all comes around. And I really like what Roya said in terms of like having to tone myself or, or think that I have to speak in a certain light to get things done. Um, other people in other orgs are not restricted in that way. Um, but when it's a black woman in charge, they absolutely are. And that weighs heavy on your heart. It weighs heavy on what you produce. Um, and it affects results, except they don't see that because we still produce at the end of the day. I kind of just wanted to add off of what you said about this summer being really difficult. Um, totally can relate. I think being in Minneapolis this summer was the most like emotionally and physically exhaustive experience I think I've ever gone through. Um, but then now we're in this new era of people are stepping into like racial justice conversations for the first time and you're having to participate in discussions as a black woman where people are discussing if like police brutality is like worthy of like this action or this action and it's like these conversations are so nuanced and can hurt so many communities but you can watch your peers like discuss it in such a topical way because it doesn't affect them and like I think having to sit in that space and listen to you just be like oh like I don't know if this is really the right way to take this or like I don't know if this is the best approach and they can just kind of debate if black lives matter and you're sitting there just like and I think that's been a huge challenge for me that I've had to navigate of, okay, so what is my role? Because sometimes I do think I need to step in and like speak up and speak up for my community. But also I think there's moments where it's kind of radical peace for me to just take a step back and be like, I don't have to fight the world today. Like I don't have to take on all of these problems just because I'm the only black woman in this room. Because that's also like a lot to put on, I think all of us as individuals. Um, but I don't know if y'all have like, had that experience this year too. Yes, girl. Oh my, I was just gonna say like, and people don't understand that that takes energy. People think it's you just like telling another anecdotal story and getting it off and they don't really realize the toll that it takes to relive your trauma. Um, and also like, I hate watching people like come to the realization that what they're saying is wrong. Like I don't, I shouldn't be responsible for your white guilt or for the fact that you didn't believe that these things existed, but then you're putting that on me by putting me in this space and like, it happens all the time and it is so frustrating. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, Bree, because I think that by far has been like one of the most difficult experiences in my term. And honestly, during my time in undergrad, um, I could honestly say that like this, like working in the space of higher education and trying to talk about racial justice and police brutality has been like some of the most triggering experiences. Like I could even recall back to the summer and early fall semester where I would go into meetings with like the highest level of admin at my university and like start crying in front of them because all of those things were weighing so heavy on my heart and listening to people debate about it. Like it was not a matter of life and death. Like it was not something that was actively impacting me and constantly being asked for evidence and data and, and just seeing the way that lived experiences of black students in that room were not being valued. Um, was incredibly hurtful and I think that was honestly one of the biggest things that I had to learn throughout my term is that like not every battle has to be on my shoulders. Um, and that's honestly a very hard thing even for us as student leaders to do because we're struggling 
struggling with. I'm the first in this position. I have to do this for my community and for my people. But at the same time, as student leaders, we are not being supported a lot of times um, by our institutions. We are not being supported by the people that we work with um, and are being put in honestly very triggering and like violent situations. And I think that I really do expect administrators and universities to be more conscious of the way that they are treating black student leaders um, because we're really burning out and suffering. And I think a lot of times our universities are benefiting from being able to say, we have our first black student body president, our first black this, and being able to take on initiatives that these students have like been pushing for um, and never honoring the fact that like, and never honoring all of the adversity um, and the roadblocks that they had to take to get there. So still uh, something to grow in and something that I think um, our universities need to do better with. Absolutely. Like we just, we're, we're never allowed to rest. It's, it just seems like it's a luxury that we're never afforded when we're, we're human, black women deserve to rest. There's always so much emphasis that's put on us being the first or us being black women period that we're looked at as machines. Like we're looked at as these strong people, these resilient people who can just keep going. Like we, we have to rest, we deserve to rest. And I don't know why that's such a hard concept for people to grasp, why that's such a hard realization, but it's, it's frustrating that, that we're not seen as human. While you guys are talking, I'm thinking about how like revolutionary it is that this is a Zoom call full of first Black women and just like the legacy that's going to come from just that. So like, I guess my next question is, especially after this summer, um, I feel like we came into our universities with like this momentum of like wanting to advocate for change. Um, how do you think your institution has benefited from your service? which is a very loaded question, but I feel like we also have to reflect on that, like the challenges that come from being a first, but also like y'all are change makers on your campus. Like you're a voice and a perspective that has never been in the room. So, I mean, like take a second to reflect on that and think about how you're changing things. So um, during my time in undergrad, I was a part of the Black Students Alliance at MSU. So we were constantly in meetings with other campus leaders and constantly in meetings and conversations with um, administration and with the president of the university and just everybody that's kind of on that level. And we really, it, it didn't really hit me until I actually graduated and then moved into this professional position that I realized that we actually kind of taught these administrators how to talk to black people or how to talk about black people and how to talk about the things that we deal with as a community. So I'm losing my train of thought. Come back to me. It's a hard question to answer. Um, but I guess I'll probably take it from more of like a gov affairs approach is that I think we're starting to see issues being brought up into kind of like our legislative agendas that aren't just like student issues. And so I think a lot of the times we'll be like, we put things in boxes of like, this is a student issue. And this is like, all we can talk about is higher education and like, that's it. And we're kind of limiting ourselves to that. And something I tried to do this year is like, we need to look at students more holistically 
more specifically look at the experience of Black students more holistically and what's impacting them and what can we advocate for that's related to their experiences as a human and not just as a student. Um, because like at the end of the day, we're all people first. And so kind of expanding our, our advocacy to more basic needs outreach and more um, we were advocating for the George Floyd and Justice and Policing Act to our congressional delegation. So stuff like that, where we're changing just like the scope of our work. It isn't just, we want open educational resources, which we do, but we also want to talk about police accountability with congressional members. We also want to talk about racial justice with accountability with our congressional members. So it's kind of um, shifting the conversation to be more inclusive of the experience as a black human and as a black individual rather than like just a student. Yeah, Brie, um, like you said, this is a really hard question and I'm really glad that it's asked because I think a lot of times I'm always thinking from the perspective of what do I still need to do for this institution rather than what have I already done? Um, and I still feel like this is something I still need to reflect on for the remainder of my term, but um, I think the two most valuable things to me, to um, be specifically, is very decentralized. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that has been really important to me is making sure that every unit across the university knows that they have and advocated for by the Office of Diversity and Inclusion, and that international students are not only the responsibility of the Office of International Affairs, that our academic units, that individual colleges have systems and tools in place, and that they are prepared to advocate on behalf of their own students and serve them with the resources um, and the policies needed for their success. I think a lot of times um, universities specifically push marginalized students into these certain like resource centers, whether for example, it's for LGBTQ plus students. Um, a lot of times it's like you can only find support and resources for your needs from that specific center. Um, and I think that's something that really makes it difficult for students, um, specifically marginalized students to really feel the full effect of their universities if they feel like they cannot stray outside of a certain unit or entity that is prepared to support them. Um, so I think that's like been a really important piece for me um, is making sure that these different entities, specifically in academic affairs, I think has been our biggest push that like you have a commitment to diversity and inclusion. You have a commitment to your black and marginalized students outside of just a diversity and inclusion appendix or a diversity and inclusion um, task force like these are things that need to be embedded in every single policy and every single rule that you are putting out um but additionally something that has been like special to me personally has just being able to recruit um a lot of students of color into our organization as a student government um i think one of the biggest things that has made me struggle with my relationship to student government over the past few years has been just feeling incredibly isolated and feeling like the things that are important to me and that i want to to advocate for don't have a space in student government because it is too controversial or it is just not something that's meant for this space and I think being able to bring in so many students um, into our organization this year just makes me feel incredibly hopeful about the future of student government and advocacy and I think that's something that I always try to carry with me in my work is thinking about how marginalized students specifically black students are going to be able to benefit from this um, um, years to come. Um, so yeah. Still thinking about the question. I loved it. Um, I think that 
just very directly, it's allowed um, the universities that they could have easily ignored um, beforehand. A, because there's someone who is a part of the marginalized community that they would have discussed um, very quickly in the room. Um, but also it's something that like in university Senate that I'm not afraid or it needs to be a part of everything that we're doing. And so a lot of our policies have focused on how do we help marginalized communities before they get to the over the edge part of it. So I feel like a, a lot of it is like, oh, well, you're, you've already flunked your classes. You already have gone to CAPS. You're already not doing well. And so why aren't we doing things before it gets to that point? Um, so a lot of my, um, a lot of our, and I say our, because along with being the first black woman president, Hannah, my VP and I are the first women to hold these positions together, which I think is really important. Um, but so a lot of what we focus on are well-being and mental health initiatives. And so within the black community, that is something that again, it's very like remedial, like it isn't, it's not proactive at all. And so making sure we're taking an active and intentional approach in, in those facets on campus, as well as this is, this might seem very trivial, but there is no space for black people to just congregate here on campus. So you've got the BCC, but that's very much like you go to the library, um, you're there because you're in an or you're in a group, you're in like a choir or arts group. Uh, but we don't have the houses that the white sororities and fraternities have. We don't have, uh, you can't go to the local bars because they are historically racist and don't play rap music. Like they prohibit the sort of, and so we don't have any of those spaces. And so working to find a space where black people can be, um, I think is really important. It'll also help in terms of the relationships. Our black community here is very sporadic. Um, it's not very strong. And so ensuring that there is a space where that can happen, although it might seem very surface level, um, does a lot for our black community here at Purdue. Um, and so I've been really fortunate enough to work on that, um, well-being initiatives, uh, and then also making sure that we don't shy away from the questions that need to be answered quickly um, from the approach of, of students of color, because why would you have a white administrator who knows nothing about the uh, experience make a decision for a whole community? I think those are all great points, Asada. And I don't think um, the point about like hangout spots for students, I don't think that's trivial at all because that's just as important in my opinion for students to have these spaces to go and relax and just kind of chill out and decompress after class, after exams, after work, all of that. Um, because that's also that's also something that can help us, you know, maintain our mental wellness. Um, it's just having these these times where we can kind of just like shut school out for a second and relax. Um, and so what I was trying to get at earlier was definitely these kinds of conversations that we bring up with the administration and the kinds of questions that they should be thinking about, like, what is it that we need to be providing to black students to make sure that they graduate in four to five years or graduate within like the requirements of their program and what are the things that we need to be doing when we are or thinking about when we are responding to incidents of racism on campus or incidents of racism against our students whether they happen on or off campus um so really just kind of letting the administration know that they have to go beyond what they think what their perceptions are what they think we need and actually get into these conversations with black people with black students and figure out through conversation through figure out through dialogue with us what exactly it is that we need what can students and inter institutions do uh, to make sure that you're not the last I mean I know I'm not the last so <laughs> I think first and foremost like standing strong in that of like I know that I'm doing my part in um, recruiting students like Batool, like you are so awesome and it is what your third year right now but anyway Batool is so awesome and like there are so many people in AVTS right now that are just like amazing 
and incredible leaders and incredibly um, powerful in their ideas and like the new perspectives that they bring to meetings. Like I remember specifically at a liaison meeting this year, like Abdul and Batul got into this conversation about like racial justice and it was just like so powerful and so kind of recharging for me to hear that and for me to kind of see like, wow, like this is so incredible. There are so many amazing black student leaders on our campus. And so I think I just know that like I'm not going to be the last because I just know that there are so many amazing people. But um, what can our institutions do? I think we talked about this of like creating more space and kind of allowing black people to breathe and allowing them to kind of have the space to exist and allowing them to have the space to kind of share their perspectives and share their point of view because it's so needed. And even though like there's still one of us or we're still the first, like we still need to hear from more people because like I don't speak for the black community as a whole. And I think sometimes that's like put on black leaders. It's like, give me the perspective of like black people. And it's like, I can give you my perspective, but like I can't speak for the community. And so I think um, creating that space to bring more people in and bringing more perspectives into the room. I 100% agree with Bree, and I, I hope that I put in place a system that where Black people and just students of color in general can thrive, um, but I hope that that pressure doesn't um, go away, and I also think that our institutions need to stop rewarding intention. Um, it can't be enough for a group to intend to increase their diversity or for a department to uh, intend to do whatever or put in place something, but then doesn't follow through. And I think that's what's happened is that we've gotten to a place where we're complacent. We say, oh, I, we think that that's what we're going to do, but just accountability, accountability does matter. You have to have consequences and whether that's direct in your face, you're fired or it's in your tenure process. This is gonna be something that's looked at, or it's when you're looking at the institution as a whole, what numbers can you and can you not um, advertise if you haven't met a certain quota or, or those sort of things. I, I think that the process just needs to be um, more aligned to our goals. And if the real goal is increasing your diversity, is creating a space where black people thrive, then you have to be held to higher standards. It can't just be you saying it and not doing anything about it. Um, and so I'm hoping that Purdue Student Government is a space where we hold our administrators, our faculty, our staff accountable, where we hold other, here at Purdue, they're called legacy organizations, which is probably an issue in and of itself, but where we hold each other accountable um, and that we don't just pat each other on the back for doing the bare minimum. Um, and so that is what, what I hope to, to end with and what I think that they should do to keep going. Asada, that really reminds me of something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. Um, and I think the something that I've noticed throughout my term is how um, when it comes to initiatives that we are trying to push for on behalf of Black and marginalized students, there's usually a limit there. Um, and I think that our institutions have gotten way too comfortable with not taking on enough sacrifice on behalf of their black students. And I say that to say a lot of times we're seeing diversity and inclusion and in initiatives where it's okay, we'll give you this, but once it gets into the point in which it is sacrificing the comfort of the institution, it is sacrificing the comfort of white students, it is sacrificing the comfort of donors, it's silence. Um, and I think that's something that's really, really dangerous, um, not just for the entire black student body, but for black student leaders as well, um, because you are showing them your opinions, your lived experiences are only valuable within the confines of what we deem 
important as an institution. Um, so it's oftentimes they're bringing Black student leaders in and saying, okay, what matters to Black students right now? What's affecting them? And when we demand something such as police divestment, it's silent because that is something that compromises the, um, it compromises the comfort of white students. It compromises the comfort of folks who oftentimes are not being targeted by police brutality or being impacted by it. Um, so that's something that I think about a lot and is something that I really want to hold um, our, my university specifically accountable to um, because you can't say that you support your black students but you are not willing to sacrifice on behalf of your black students. Um, and just thinking about like within the personal experiences of like being a student body president, um, I really want to ensure that anyone who comes into this role after me, which like Bree said, there definitely will be someone in the future and I know it. Um, I want to make sure that they don't have to endure the emotional trauma that I had to endure, you know what I mean? Like I, it shouldn't have to be as triggering. It shouldn't have to be as emotional. It shouldn't have to, we shouldn't have to be experiencing all of these things to do amazing work. And I think a lot of times we think you have to endure all of this hardship to be a great leader, but I do believe that that is not true. And I do think that our institutions have the power to ensure that our students can lead without having to put additional weight on their shoulders or having to undergo the microaggressions and outright discrimination that a lot of black student leaders, including myself, um, have experienced in navigating these spaces. I love what you said about institutions because like, our institutions are not going to bow out gracefully to white supremacy. And that's very evident to me. Like, that's what they're rooted in. That's how our institutions were built. That's what our buildings are named after. And if you're still willing to hold on to that so close, like, it worries me of like, how are we going to get past this if you're not willing to actually make tangible commitments and let go of things that are harming the students that are attending your school? Like, I don't want to see you make commitments. I wanna see the outcome. I wanna see the result. Like, I don't wanna see, like Asada said, I don't wanna see your intention. I wanna see the impact. And right now I feel like they're stuck in like, we have good intentions, but we won't make any tangible changes that will actually result in outcomes that protect and help black students prosper. Um, I just wanna say that y'all's impact has been beyond your campus. Like, I think I followed you all like since the beginning of the summer when ABTS did like the live stream until like now, because I'm like, if there's like black women in Indiana, in Ohio, in Minnesota doing this, like I can do this, you know? And so like also making sure that you won't be the last on your campus, but that you're ensuring that there will be first on other big Ten campuses. And I really appreciate that. Like Brie, I think one time during the year, like I like called you and was like, listen, there's this mess happening. Like, should I leave my student government? Should I not? And she like really empowered me. And I think that we forget like the privilege it is to be able to achieve our goals and the black students that have been neglected by our institutions and how we have a duty to them. Um, so I think you guys remind me of that. And I'm just like really thankful. Um, so just on that note, basically saying that Brie has inspired me as long along with the rest of the fine women on this call. Um, who has been your inspiration? So mine's super cliche, um, but really important to me is my mom. Um, and to my mom, 
is the first, like, so she, it's religious. I'm a PK, I'm a pastor's kid. And so in the church, women are not supposed to be pastors. And so in various religions, that's the case. Um, and so growing up, I was always in a space where people were questioning my mom, her authority, what she was doing. Um, she had me when she was 17. So she was a freshman in college um, and literally is the most kick-ass person. I'm sorry, but if you have to beep that out, um, person I've, I know, she got through college, then went and went on to University of Chicago, um, got, went to Div School, got her master's, um, is now the associate dean of University of Chicago Div School and leads the church um, Disciples of Christ for Indiana. And so point blank period um, is that I was raised by a single strong black woman um, who in a, in a field that did not appreciate her or her talents or her gifts said, I heard my calling. Um, and so a, that's one reason, but second, she named me Asada and I will never forget the night before election results came out the first time, um, I was in after Asada Shakur, who, if you don't know her, get yourself educated because that one, um, but she said Asada, it means she who struggles. Um, but you have grown into it and it's she who struggles on behalf of the people. And she was like, I don't care if you win. I don't care if you lose, um, you can do it, but I know that like your heart. And so it was just a really profound moment in my life. Um, and so I owe everything that I'm doing to her and how she raised me. Um, and, and every step along the way I do it because of my mom. Okay. Well, I love that so much. And that just touched me so deeply. So that was so powerful. And thank you, Asala, for sharing that. Um, and I also want to thank Batula, like what you said, that really touched me as well too. And that conversation was meaningful to me as well. And you inspire me um, to keep fighting and to keep kind of pushing in the work that I'm doing. Um, but I do have to tell the story of who inspires me and we all know her very well. Um, our student body president from 2019, 2020, uh, Jail Karandi has been kind of like, the biggest inspiration I think in my college undergrad career and I've told this story before but I knew I wanted to do student government when I came to the U and so I went to this little like student government mixer and she like pulled me off the sidewalk and she was like so my name's Jile and like I want you to be an MSA and I'm gonna just like mentor you through this and I'm gonna help you get in my fellowship program and you're gonna do this with me and she walked me back to my dorm and we've been such good friends ever since and she is just the most incredible Black woman I think I've ever met in my life. And the way that she just speaks truth to power and the way that she kind of commands every room that she's in. I'm like getting emotional talking about her. She's just so wonderful and is so kind and so loving and has shown me nothing but just like grace and how to be strong and how to take care of myself and is so selfless. And so she's like the type of leader that I want to be um, now and like for the rest of my life. And so yeah, just trying to kind of emulate the women that I love um, and the women that have kind of paved those paths for me as Asada mentioned earlier, but yeah. I retweet that 100%. Um, I met her early on during my term as a student body president. And at that point, I was really struggling adjusting to my role. And I remember that she gave me some words of encouragement that have quite literally carried me on through my entire term. Um, and I still remember it to this day. So shout out to her. Um, but within my Ohio State community, I think 
one of the biggest inspirations has honestly been my campaign team. Um, and I say that because even getting to the point of wanting to run for student body president was such a difficult journey for me. Um, like I said earlier, imposter syndrome and just like the idea of putting myself on such a large platform at such a large university as a Black Muslim woman um, was incredibly scary to me. Um, and I remember that I was forming this campaign team and going to campaign meetings late at night, Sundays at 9 p.m. And I would be filled with so much anxiety and be weighing down on my heart so much. And the thing that honestly got me through that entire experience has been knowing that there are folks that believe in me and that there are folks that believe in this journey and the student advocacy that there were folks who were willing to come every single night and put in hours and hours every single week into something that they really cared about and I think just seeing their commitment is honestly like my inspiration like I am constantly inspired by the members of my organization they are literally the people who like carry me up and uplift me and I'm constantly learning from the people who pull me to the side and are reminding me of like what we are all capable of as an organization so um yeah i definitely like cannot say enough about like the members of my student organization they're truly my inspiration and i really look to them and that's what makes me so like excited for the future of our student government because i know that it's going to be in good hands truthfully black women in general are just extremely inspiring to me like all of you on this call this is my first time interacting with all of you. And honestly, I love you all. Like you all are amazing. Amazing isn't even the word. You deserve a word bigger than amazing, but that's all I can think of right now. All of you are just so great. Um, just seeing black women making strides in our communities and at our different universities and just kind of moving in our own agency is just so empowering to me that I just have to give props to black women each and every time that I can. Um, but more specifically, Someone who inspires me is the current president of the Black Students Alliance at MSU. Her name is Sharon, and I love her with my whole heart. She is just such an amazing leader. Um, this is her second year as president of BSA, and I think her third year um, on the executive board. And she just grows so much with each year. Each year she gains more wisdom. She just does, develops so much as a leader. Um, and a lot of times the work that BSA does, and I think a lot of the times the work that we do at all of our institutions go not necessarily unnoticed, but they go without thanks. Like we're not thanked for the work that we do um, when we really should be because we there's so much that goes into the work that we do. But even though um, sometimes we do go without the recognition that we deserve, um, we keep pushing. And Sharon is definitely one who's always pushing and keeping, keeping us on track, keeping us moving forward um and even with the work that she does she also acknowledges like boundaries that she needs to set and times when she needs to take a step back and focus more on herself than she does on bsa or on the community in general so just seeing just seeing someone i i always forget to set boundaries for myself it's just kind of something that doesn't really come to mind for me so i just keep pushing through whatever work i'm doing um and I don't really take into consideration that I myself need a break. So seeing Sharon do that is just kind of a, a reminder to me that I also need to be doing that and that black women generally need to be doing that um, because the work that we do is important, but so is our own sanity and so is our own wellness. So yeah, 
Sharon is great. I love her and I love all of you. I never missed an opportunity to talk about Giles. So I do want to jump in on that and say that she's literally amazing, but more so than her, just ABTS as a whole. I remember when I was added to that group chat of Mark, Alana, of Cece, Aiden Sova, um, Aaron Ben, like there are just so many incredible black people within ABTS. Um, and in those moments where you don't think you can keep going or you think it's done, you are drained, um, you get a text and you're like, wow, like, I don't know if we are connected through, like, I don't know what it is, but um, that, that environment has just been so welcoming. Um, and I get some of like my best, like, pep talk, some of the, everything from ABTS. And so I just want to thank the organization as a whole. And then also those people that have lifted me up when I literally thought I could not walk um, because I would not be here without them. I also want to add to that. I really do think that ABTS is a big inspiration of mine. Although I haven't been able to meet a lot of you in person, um, I have been constantly inspired by ABTS um, and you as well, Brie. Um, my Taurus queen, but literally like since day one, like just the way that like you've welcomed me into ABTS as someone who like has literally no experience in this organization um, has been so beautiful. And I just admire your leadership a lot. So you are definitely an inspiration of mine. Now I'm going to get emotional. Like this was such a great conversation and I could say the same about everybody on this call. And I think I felt some sort of like privilege and responsibility. Like this is the year I believe when it's the most black women student body presidents in the big 10. Um, and there was that point in the summer too where Jaya was still in her turn. And it was like Roya, Asada, Jaya, Levita. And it was just like this wonderful community that I think Asada touched on beautifully that we've built and that we find kind of strength and resilience in each other and also can kind of find peace in each other. Um, and I look to all of you so often for like Ugh, like I don't want to keep doing my work but like let me look and see what Roy is doing like let me go look and see what they're up to so that I can see kind of yeah like this is why I'm here this is what I'm committed to this is what I'm grounded in and so um yeah you all are all my inspirations too uh this was such a sweet conversation I feel so much warm energy and like I feel so empowered like thank you so much for this conversation I think that's all the questions I feel like any other question would like ruin the opportunity to end on this note and it's such a beautiful note to end on. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to Vahini. And that was our fourth episode of Between Class. Thank you to our panelists and moderator for an engaging and uplifting conversation. You can find Between Class on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You can also keep up to date with ABTS by following us on Instagram and Twitter at ABTS10. We'll catch you next time between class.